This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, December 22nd. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Dolores River Conservation, an ongoing effort. Roving rabbis light up Mountain Village. In Natarita, a ginger bridge for the holidays. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, the Diamond Ridge housing development took a hit this week after a district court judge ruled against San Miguel County in its rezone of the property for community housing. According to Judge J. Stephen Patrick, who presided over the case, the county's community housing zone district itself is lawful. But County Commissioner Hillary Cooper abused her discretion by not recusing herself from the rezone decision, and the Board of County Commissioners misapplied the law by spot zoning the property, or rezoning to benefit a single landowner rather than the general public. Based on the ruling, the Diamond Ridge property will revert back to the Forestry, Agriculture, and Open Zone District. San Miguel County officials say they are still in support of building affordable housing on the property and will have more information in the coming days. On our Wednesday newscast, we profiled a piece of legislation now before Congress which would preserve the Dolores River as a national conservation area. The proposed bill is the product of 15 years of negotiations between stakeholders in southwest Colorado. Amber Clark was involved in the conversations as director of the Dolores River Boating Advocates and remembers how they began. And I always kind of laugh about it because, you know, it was like we were all sitting around this table. It was it was a blizzard. You know, it's it's the middle of winter. And, and it was like we were all kind of like sizing each other up and glaring at each other and kind of, you know, you know, we felt different. Like we were all trying to figure out what all the other people at the table wanted And really what happened was a little bit magical where everyone sort of started getting over their own, you know, whatever ego or whatever they had involved around, this is my stake in this, and really started listening to each other and hearing each other. Jeff Wyden of the Wilderness Society also remembers how delicate the negotiations could be. We developed a lot of respect for one another and for one another's values and livelihoods. And this process could have broken down a dozen times, literally, and it didn't. And the reason it didn't is that we all um, developed so much respect for each other and the desire to work together to find a solution. The process was contentious because of the presence of water, that ever-precious and increasingly scarce resource. Wyden explains how water made the process more complex. Water becomes a central focus because there's a lot of fear that If you designate a national conservation area or a special management area or a wilderness, that um, that gives the federal government more power to claim water. All of the water in McPhee Reservoir is already spoken for. It's owned by farmers and other entities. Some years, the river below the dam is a mere trickle. Bob Gleason, who sits on the board of the Dolores River Boating Advocates, explains that the conservation bill respects those agricultural water rights. But, he adds, it does not put more water into the river for boaters, fish, and wildlife. Yeah, farming and ranching, their historic rights. And this bill is recognizing those rights. The reason why this has got such a really high 
probability of passing is because all the parties were brought to the table to talk about this thing right there. And they all had their input and they all are getting things they need out of it. So it's not just exclusively for the river. It's not so much about water rights, but it's about protecting the lands around the river. And it's the first really big step where we're getting protection here. So in the future, we can keep working on maybe getting more of the water in the river and getting that particular recreational resource to a higher level than it is right now. Cattle rancher Al Heaton says that this conservation effort took into account the humans who live and work alongside the river. In my opinion, we live in a world that a lot of the people that hide behind the term environmentalist tend to dream of some world that's imaginary, that, but they fail to put the people factor in. They want to leave the people factor out and we're going to go back to this perfect something that was here before anybody knows what it was. You know, and of course, I, I value the river. I've been here all my life and uh, enjoy it. I've probably spent more time in the River Canyon than most anybody in the, any, anywhere because we grew up playing in it as kids. And so I've been in and out of there all my life. The Grassroots Coalition working on the NCA believes in it fully. Wyden says that although the process was long, everyone involved will stand behind the agreement. I think the process that we've gone through with this legislation is as good a process as, as I've ever seen. You know, if other forces within Congress try to make real changes to it, we will go to bat for it and stand together and say no. This took a decade and a half. It's a delicate balance, and you need to respect that. And I, I guarantee you no one around that table will say, oh, so the House Natural Resources Committee staff is looking at some changes. Maybe I can get a little more out of this now. This summer, Senator Michael Bennett introduced the bill to the Senate. Representative Lauren Boebert followed shortly thereafter, giving the effort a bipartisan seal. Although as recently as last week it looked like the bill might pass this year, tides change quickly and chances now seem low. Senator Bennett says in a written statement that, quote, Farmers and ranchers, conservation groups, and local and tribal leaders spent nearly two decades hammering out a compromise to secure the future of the river. Unquote. He goes on to say that while the bipartisan bill was not passed this year, he looks to reintroduce it next year to, quote, protect the Dolores River Canyon and the communities that thrive from their connection to the river, unquote. As Al Heaton sees it, the people of southwest Colorado have done their part. The future of the Dolores is in the hands of Congress now. It is. It is. Yeah, it's in the hands of Congress. For those who worked so long to preserve the river... The wait continues. The sun is setting on the shortest day of the year in Mountain Village. Blasting over loudspeakers is a pop dance beat, but it's not a song you're likely to hear on a Top 40 countdown. It's the fourth night of Hanukkah, and a group of rabbinical students from New York City, the roving rabbis, are in town for a menorah lighting. Welcome to the first annual, hopefully, public menorah lighting in Mountain Village. Yay! Sorry, guys, I know it's a little frigid out here. Over 100 members of the community and visitors brave the cold temperatures to celebrate and partake in the lighting. Rabbi Mendy Hirsch speaks to the gathered crowd. Tonight we join millions of Jews around the world who are marking the fourth night of the Festival of Lights. 
Hanukkah. Fam families all across the globe are gathering together to kindle these incredible flames. The rabbis are on a whistle-stop tour of Utah, Colorado, and Texas, lighting menorahs and celebrating Hanukkah. Each one of us has a spark of God within, within us. We all have our menorah, we all have our light, and the goal that we came here tonight for is to ignite that light, to make sure that light's revealed, to make sure we have that light and that light stays with us. We know that when we have a candle in a dark room, if you light even one candle, the entire room gets lit up. The same too is with our soul, with, our, with godliness. When we add in light, when we add with, the, when we awaken our neshama, our inner soul, the light of God inside of us, that lights up the, our surrounding, that helps us through our challenges, and that's how we celebrate Hanukkah. After a few words from Mountain Village's mayor, local resident Reuven Tani gets up to light the first four candles of the menorah, as Rabbi Shmuley Wadowski leads the blessings. The lighting complete, dance music returns, the rabbis serve latkes and donuts, someone dressed up as a dreidel is dancing. For Tani, the lighting is a beautiful expression of community and the joy of the season. You know, it makes me love Telluride even more to just see like the holiday spirit. I know a lot of people don't really know very much about Hanukkah and it's just great for everybody to get together and, and celebrate. It's great and happy holidays everybody. The celebration continues as the sky lights up in a brilliant sunset. But soon, the roving rabbis will leave Mountain Village, heading to Crested Butte, then Texas, spreading the light and love of Hanukkah with more small communities across the West. If you've heard about bridge building in Natarita, maybe don't picture an enormous infrastructure project. These bridges have no concrete, rebar, nor industrial reflective paint, but are made of royal icing, hard candies, and cookies. Last week, the Pinhead Institute and the Natarita Library co-hosted a gingerbread bridge building event. Sixth grader at the Natarita High School, Josie Herland, reports her bridge is somewhat of an experiment. Josie Herland is my name, and um, I'm, I'm kind of just like failing on my bridge now because I'm doing whatever I want because like the sprinkles weren't coming out, so I'm just making it like a, I don't know, crazy bridge. <laughs> yep. It kind of looks like something heavy went over it and it like cracked a bunch. Herland is at the event with her sisters, Emma and Nora. Volunteering at the event is Ilea Squires, a high schooler who was introduced to Pinhead when the science education nonprofit's director, Sarah Holbrook, visited Nukla High to talk about opportunities in science, technology, engineering, and math. 
Squires is trying her own hand at some pastry architecture. I tried to build an actual bridge, and I think I did an okay bridge. <laughs> I'm 16, and I'm a junior. Um, I think my favorite subject currently is probably chemistry. I got with Pinhead when Sarah came to our school and like offered the internship, and this is my first time volunteering, and I'm having much like fun, so it's nice. The crowd, though small, fills the library's community room with noise. One of the librarians, Raina Grindle, says the room at the back of the library serves many uses. We have the community room that our community events, businesses and stuff can come in and use our library. We also have um, early literacy programs, which helps get children using their imaginations based on stories we read to them and then crafts they do afterwards that are related. We have an upcoming young adult book club that's starting in January. Um, and then we do adult activity bags so that it fits in the busy, hectic schedules of the adults for our community. The library's offerings continue to evolve, says Grindle. Um, I've actually worked here at the library for the last seven years. You know, COVID hit us hard with where um, people still are not ready to come back and do some of the events in person. As a library, we strive to serve our community to the best of our abilities and keep up with what they need so that we can continue to adapt and change and provide. Bridge building is a classic university challenge for students of architectural design and civil engineering. The bridges at this event advance largely by simple trial and error. By the evening's conclusion, however, many are quite elegant. Emma Herlin shares her creation, a bright green pyramid bedecked in colored candy. Um, I don't know, I just had a plan, an idea, and I found these two bigger pieces, and then I found this little piece, and I thought it would be perfect to build it like that. I just wanted a lot of sprinkles. I did every sprinkle. As darkness settles outside the library windows, participants pack up their creations into little cardboard boxes and head into the evening. Main Street is quiet, and the sun is setting behind thin cloud, far off along the desert horizon. In Natarita, the holidays approach. The Sheridan Opera House will be open next week and charging full steam ahead towards the new year. Sheridan Arts is offering six straight nights of entertainment starting on December 26th and ending with a New Year's bash on the 31st. Performers include folk rock stars Kiltro, singer-songwriter Jewel, the Yonder Mountain String Band, and many more. Tickets are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. High winds, frigid temperatures, and driving snow are dipping south from the Arctic and will roll across the U.S. throughout the weekend. That includes much of Colorado. Today, Thursday the 22nd, Denver recorded a high of negative 2 degrees, with wind chills as low as negative 50. Those are some of the coldest temperatures recorded in Denver since 1990. For those of us on the western slope, however, the weather has proved comparatively cozy. Despite windy conditions in the forecast, temperatures are unlikely to dip below zero here in Telluride over the weekend, and it looks like we'll miss most of that snow as well. For anyone heading out of the Box Canyon, meteorologists are warning of potential disruptions to holiday travel and recommending extreme caution in the frigid air. 
A new addiction recovery program in Cortez is using traditional Native approaches to healing and bridging the gap between addiction recovery and Native communities. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidas of KSUT and KSJD has more. The Indigenous Wellbriety Program offers free addiction recovery services. The program serves primarily Native people with alcohol addiction issues. Non-Native people are invited to participate as well in weekly talking circles, healing through art classes, and Zumba classes. It's an effort to incorporate Native American spirituality into addiction recovery and sobriety. For Wellbriety, it encompasses mind, body, and spirit. Imo Sako is a Navajo social worker and a certified peer recovery coach. A lot of it involves languages around Creator and Mother Earth and the natural elements in our world. And we utilize that to balance ourselves out. And so in our Navajo culture, harmony means a lot. Sako started the program earlier this year. She has some training through other addiction recovery programs that incorporate Native cultural and healing practices. But she saw the need for this type of treatment when she was in grad school. In my internship working for a mental health outpatient facility, I just noticed through observations that a lot of our Indigenous clients were having trouble in accessing um, services that are unique to them and their population. Indigenous Wellbriety has four employees who are all Native. Weekly talking circles are held at the Cortez Cultural Center. Meetings are available to attend via Zoom. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The Colorado River is in crisis. 40 million people depend on its water, and the supply is shrinking due to climate change. Policymakers recently met in Las Vegas to discuss its future, but didn't emerge with any new commitments to significantly cut back demand. That leaves hydropower facilities in jeopardy at the nation's largest reservoirs and a murky picture of the river's future. KUNC's Alex Hager was there. There's no shortage of tension in the Colorado River Basin. The cities and farms that rely on the river's water need to start using less. And those who decide how it gets divvied up are caught in a standoff. In a Las Vegas Casino Conference Center, that all went down in person. There's no substitute for you know being face-to-face. It, it's, it's a lot easier to... Talk, talk a little smack, call some people some names, you know, when, when you're not looking them in the eye. That's John Ensminger, head of the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Here at Caesars Palace, people from Wyoming to Mexico are gathered to get a sense of the river's future. And the word on everyone's lips is collaboration. Colorado's head river negotiator, Becky Mitchell, says there needs to be a collective solution to this collective problem. I think there's some heavy optimism that Hopefully everyone will come to something that we can all agree on, but it is going to take mean real cuts to everyone. Agreement is easier said than done. Mitchell herself placed blame downstream. States along the river's top half, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico, say their water supply is at the whims of rain and snow, while the lower half can rely on steady, legally required deliveries every year. So Mitchell says those lower states should be the first to make cutbacks. We all have to be able to sell this, and it is really hard to sell something when there are winners and losers. Meanwhile, the lower basin has its own big water demands in cities like Phoenix and Los Angeles, but also sprawling fields of crops. About 80% of the country's wintertime vegetables come from farms in the lower basin. 
Water managers say the next few weeks will be critical. They're trying to add their two cents before the federal government makes some potential changes to the river's current rulebook. Bill Hazenkamp is with the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. We really are focusing on this 45 days, and then if we're not successful, then you can ask me where we're headed then, because that's something I don't even want to think about right now. But water managers will have to think about it, and soon. Elizabeth Kobley is a political science professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. We're dealing with trying to respond to crisis while also thinking about long-term sustainability planning for the basin. And to me, that is creating so many challenges. Kobley says there isn't much new clarity on where necessary cutbacks to water use will come from. Even though we agree, yeah, this is a problem and we need to do something about it and it's not getting better, um, we haven't yet agreed on who's really responsible for doing any of that yet. A longer-term plan could come by 2026, when the current rules for managing the river are set to expire. And while that process is just beginning, groups historically excluded from river management want their voices to be heard. We want to have true and meaningful consultation. We want to really have nation to nation, but it really doesn't exist. Sean Chapoose is chairman of the Ute Indian Tribe on the Uinta and Uray Reservation. He and many of the other 30 tribes in the basin say they want more out of states that promise them a seat at the table. It sounds good in rooms, but what happens on the ground, and for a person like me who's actually in that rumble, I always tell people, yeah, you're, 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 you're singing a narrative that's not factual. And while that negotiating table is being set, the river itself is only getting drier, putting the pressure on everyone who relies on its water to adapt. In Las Vegas, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Friday calls for snow flurries giving way to partly sunny skies and a high near 35. Friday night should be partly cloudy with a low of 20. Saturday should be mostly sunny with a high near 40 and Saturday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 20. This has been the news for Thursday, December 22nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Friday and Monday for the holiday weekend. We will be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Tuesday, December 27th.